This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to a very happy, very relieved, very ecstatic, whatever word you want to use, edition of Rico Bronia. The New York Mets sweep the New York Yankees of a very brief two game series, they blow the game in game two. They come back and win anyway when Starling Marte gets a game-winning walk-off hit. And we as Met fans will not be annoyed or made fun of or bothered by our Yankee fan brethren. We get to avoid that. And I, I think arguably that's one of the biggest parts of the Subway Series. I tried to make my point on the air, and I certainly tried to make it on the Rico a couple days ago, which is... Yeah, in the midst of these games, they're big, and they feel big, and they feel bigger, and they feel like postseason games. And you don't want to deal with the arrogant, douchey Yankee fan who happens to be a coworker or a brother or a sister or whomever they are. But a few days from now, you will say, oh, yeah, we won two games against the Yankees. It won't be something that stays with you forever the way I think the early days of the Subway Series were. With all of that said... We are recording this a mere hour and a half after the Mets defeated the New York Yankees. So we're still in the freaking moment. And in the freaking moment, it feels good. In the moment, Hoff, I walked out of City Field chanting, let's go Mets, while Yankee fans look sad. They look like, oh no, what happened? So in the moment, let me and let everyone else have a good freaking time because it was a good time. Right, Hoff? Let's freaking go. This house was silent, and that's the way I like it, because all the kids were crying. Well, cried themselves to bed. So, boom, let's go. And by the way, that's how was the, right. How was the vibe? Like, like obviously on TV, it was electric, but, like, did it feel the same way being there? So, the Subway Series over the years has gone through a couple of different phases. You know, back in the late 90s when it started, every game felt like a World Series game. Every game had those let's go Mets, let's go Yankees chance. And I think for a while, especially when both teams were either not that good or sucked, more cases the Mets sucked, but certainly a lot of cases where the Yankees just weren't that good. Like in 2013, the Yankees are not that good. In 2014, the Yankees are not that good. The crowd would always be packed. There would always be more energy in the building, but it didn't feel the way it used to feel. This year, it felt like the old days. This year, it felt like 1999, and it's not a surprise. The Yankees are very good. The New York Mets are very good. The fans have kind of gone at it a lot this season with, my team's better than your team. So 
I'm not surprised by it. I also thought last year was really good, too, because if you remember, especially for the July 4th weekend where they played at Yankee, the Mets were good. The Mets were in first place, and the Yankees were scuffling, and then they played the 9-11 weekend. So I thought last year was good, too. But prior to that, if you go back to 18, 17, 16 was good, happened to be good that year, 14, 13, there were a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of people there, but it doesn't have that same playoff energy. There was great energy the last two days. Ah, uh, there were a lot of Yankee fans there. There were more Met fans there, but I just want to give them the credit or the the fair representation of what was going on. I'd say it was about 60-40 Mets, something like that. But the crowds were great. Let's go Yankee chance. Let's go Met chance. Uh, it was a real good, healthy back and forth. There was an intensity to every single pitch. And I thought that was awesome. Now, as far as these games are concerned, and I'll just start with the game that we just saw, the finale of this game. We'll touch on game one as well. When Glaber Torres hits a two-run home run off of David Peterson, after David Peterson comes in, and we'll, we'll approach this because I think this is going to be a debate on if Buck should have made this move, do we like this move, what do we think of this move? But when David Peterson comes in in a two-run game, and he walks Anthony Rizzo on four pitches. I mean, we're all expecting doom. We're all expecting hell. What I didn't exactly expect was that the first effing pitch would be Glaber Torres going oppo, in which off the bat, I didn't think it was out. I really didn't. I thought Starling's going to catch it at the warning track, and every smart-ass Met fan's going to say the same thing. It's not Yankee Stadium. <laughs> well, guess what? This crap got out of City Field, too. And I'm disgusted because, I mean, hey, David, could you give us more than 30 seconds before you blow this lead? But I'm going to blow your mind off. Actually, you're not going to be surprised because you know I've mentioned the idea of David Peterson out of the bullpen and how it could be a weapon. I didn't mind Buck doing this, okay? Now, before I continue and make my case, you don't believe in David Peterson out of the bullpen, so I assume that when you saw David Peterson jog in to face the heart of the Yankee order in the eighth inning, you were less than thrilled. Uh, listen, I'm not that you say I was less than thrilled, but I saw the experiment the other day. It, di- it didn't work out so well. And after today, after last night's game, after game two against the Yankees, I've officially put an RIP of David Peterson in the bullpen the experiment. It's now dead. It's over. All right. Well, well okay. July 24th, it started. July 27th, it ended. <laughs> well, let's go back to July 24th. When Buck used David Peterson, it was very different. It was an 8-1 to one game. So he didn't exactly go to him in a high-leverage situation, and he was shaky. I mean, there's just, you know, it is what it was. He gave up a couple of runs. Uh, he walked a bunch of guys. Or I think he walked one guy, but he gave up a couple. Of, he wasn't good, That's the moral of the story. I'm not ready, and I said this to you the other day, I wasn't ready to abandon it after one try. Now, it is a big jump to go from David Peterson in an 8-1 to game to David Peterson against the heart of the Yankee order. But I want to walk you through my reasoning while, even though it didn't work, I actually liked it. Number one, let's all agree on something. Or I'll try to get you to agree on something. Edwin Diaz was not going to pitch today. And it's understandable Edwin Diaz threw whatever it was the other night, 25 pitches, 22 pitches, whatever it was. It was a four-out save. There's an up-down involved, which I know is a big thing. But more than that, he pitched Saturday and Sunday. So Edwin Diaz, if he had pitched today, it would have been four times in five days. That's not going to happen. Even with an off day tomorrow, 
Buck is looking at the 162. He's got this golden nugget known as Edwin Diaz. He's been utterly brilliant. More on him in a little bit. You're not pitching him four out of five days. So I know there's going to be some Mets fans saying, why the hell not? Well, why the hell not is Buck Showalter cares about the Subway Series, but he's not going to treat it like Game 7 of the World Series. So let's just start there. Do you agree that Edwin Diaz, it made sense for him not to be available in this game? A thousand percent that I uh, actually appreciate the fact that Buck Showalter is so committed to make sure that he uses Edwin Diaz properly throughout the 162 because, like we've said in the past years, the biggest fault is the manager did not know how to use him, which is why it turned so bad for Diaz so quick. Good. So we're, we're all good that as much as we wanted to win this game and Edwin Diaz gives you the best chance to win this game, you got to be smart about this. Four out of five days didn't make sense. All right, so you know Edwin Diaz isn't available. Adam Adovino is also not going to be available. The Mets asked a lot from him in game one of this series. He did a really good job. He's done a really good job for a while. And I think in order to maintain the effectiveness of Adam Adovino, which I'm skeptical is going to last, you can't overuse him. So you knew there is no Diaz, there is no Adovino. So basically, when you look at this bullpen, you've got Joely Rodriguez, who sucks. No one wants to see him. We throw him to the side. You've got Trevor Williams and Yoan Lopez, who are long relievers. If this game goes 13 innings somehow with the Manfred rule, or somehow Max get knocked out early, you'll use Lopez and Williams. Otherwise, they're not options. So now we are down to Seth Lugo. We are down to Tommy Hunter. We are down to Drew Smith. And we're down to David Peterson. All right, we've narrowed it down. Drew Smith has sucked now for a month. If you go back to, I think it's about June 27th in that range, he's given up a run in almost every game he's pitched. All right? So Drew Smith, who got off to a great start, has been rather ineffective over the last month. Doesn't mean I definitely don't want to use him, but if you've noticed, Buck has very rarely used him. He has not pitched a lot, mainly because Buck realizes Drew Smith is not good. Now you got Tommy Hunter. Like, are we really talking about Tommy Hunter? I know Tommy was warming up to pitch the 10th inning, but let's throw that aside. So you've got Seth Lugo and you've got David Peterson. That's what you got. And so because there's no Diaz and because there's no Adovino, I think Buck, and I agreed with him, viewed Lugo as the more likely guy to get the final three outs with his save experience and because Rizzo is the lefty and Carpenter is due up third, so you got two lefties. I know Lugo's been effective against lefties. I acknowledge that. But I'm thinking about Peterson here. That buck probably figures, if I'm going to give him a lane, if I'm committing to Lugo Peterson to get me the last six outs, which maybe you don't agree with, but I think I've made the case why the other guys are not great options, which way are you going to go? And so when he went to Peterson, and Peterson was warming up, believe it or not, in the seventh inning, which means if Scherzer didn't get Judge out, there's a chance he was going to go to Peterson there. Thank God Scherzer got Judge out. I think that A, it makes sense based on who was available, but B, this was an audition. This was Buck saying, okay, two-run lead, New York Yankees, heart of the order, big-time crowd, let's see what you got, because If the New York Mets are healthy, and I don't know if they will be pitching-wise, but if they are healthy, David Peterson's vital role with this team would be either pitching out of the bullpen or being in the minor leagues as an insurance policy in case somebody gets hurt. 
I thought this was great. I thought this was Buck saying, you know what, kid? Here you go. Here's the problem. It failed. And I admit that. Obviously, it failed. I mean, who's debating that? When he walks Anthony Rizzo on four pitches, and then the first pitch to Glaber Torres is parked over the right field fence, it was a failure. I will give Peterson credit for this. He struck out Matt Carpenter. And you can mock that all you want, but he had to face a third hitter. There's a rule. And David Peterson could have given up a double, or he could have walked him, or he could have done a million different things that would have been bad. He struck him out, I think, on three or four pitches. Small victory. Look, this bullpen has a problem. We all know that. This bullpen needs to add an arm or two or three. And I don't want to hear about Trevor May being healthy. We all know that. Buck Showalter was screaming for David Robertson in this game. He didn't say his name, but by the options he used, it was Buck's way of putting up a a call to Billy Epler saying, please get me David Robertson. Please get me Andrew Chafin. Please get me Joe Mantiply. Like, we all know that. And much like the Yankees responded by making a trade like minutes after they got swept, The Mets are going to add a reliever. I hope it's David Robertson. I've warmed up to it. I've gone all in on it now. And I want Andrew Chafin. Those are my two guys. You get me those two guys in this bullpen, I feel good. So I get it. He's a starter. He's not a robot. I was getting texts from a friend of mine who's a Yankee fan saying, Buck's too cute with this move. This was an audition. This was a reminder that while it's the Subway Series and I care and you care and a lot of fans care, this was the perfect moment to say, all right, David, here you go. And it didn't work. We, I get it. Now, Pete, here's where I'm mixed. I'm not ready to bury it. I'm not ready to say, okay, this just doesn't work, period, stop. That's it. It's over. But I understand why we're not using him Friday night against the Marlins or next week against the Braves. Like, I'm not saying... I want to just throw him back into it because I think the Mets are going to need him as a starting pitcher. Buck said that to Craig and I the other day when he joined us, and he's right. They have a doubleheader against the Braves. There's a lot of games. See, even if Jake is healthy, which we'll touch on later in this podcast, I think they're going to need David Peterson to start games, so you're going to need to continue to have him stretched out. But I'll say it to you again, man. There's going to be a moment. It's going to be in August, maybe September, where he's going to get another audition. Because David Peterson could help this team out of the bullpen despite how bad things were on Wednesday night in Game 2 of this series. And I'm going to feel just as bad as when I see him. They need a new theme song for him when he comes out because I need something to, like, prep myself to, like, get me up because, dude, it's just, it's one of those things where the writing is on the wall, he's a starter, and he can't change that mentality. And he's not going to be able to to be in a, a situational pitcher. He's just not that type of guy. Based on two because, performances. Uh, unfortunately, yes. And I, and I, I think come that on. he's good. It's not a come on because you could see It's two performances. The- Is it, Am I wrong? It's two games, Pete. I understand, but we don't need to see it anymore. If I prefer, and you may hate this, I'd prefer to see him packaged somewhere else to bring back an asset of a, a Chafin or somebody like that, no. because it's more important. No. It's more important me to now. He's got no. He's got no role on this pitching staff. Yes, he does. Yeah. First of all, he's going to be incredibly important next year and the year after because he's a controllable 
middle of the rotation, maybe better if he puts it all together. He's had a very good year this year. And also the protection in case DeGrom is hurt, in case Bassett's hurt, in case anybody's hurt. So I think he A, has an important role on this team now. You never have enough starting pitching. And I certainly think in the future he's got a big role. Now look, in a Juan Soto trade, fine, of course. I don't think that's ever happening. But in a trade for Andrew Chafin, I'm not trading David Peterson. Sorry. No, no, not Chafin, but somebody else where you have more control over and stuff like that too. But listen, I, P, David Peterson, I'm sorry. I, I don't know the, the obsession with the lefties when they're not effective. And he's been better this year. He has been better this year, but he hasn't been lights out. He, he's now like, what, did, how can he get past the fourth inning? I mean, he's had, he's had some really rough outings. Ah, come on. Yeah, Overall, he's been fine as a starter. I mean, he's had a, actually a really good year as a starter, and he's going to have to make more starts. But look, I think we could all agree on this. This bullpen needs reinforcements, and they're going to get it. And I think it was exposed in this game based on the choices that Buck Showalter had. Now, with that said, Max Scherzer was... I want to use the right word to describe Max tonight because Max made the big pitch when he had to. And he pitched so effectively, specifically against Aaron Judge, whether it was in the third inning with two men on base whether it was striking him out to start the sixth, and then obviously the exclamation point when he struck him out in the seventh. I mean, he really, that's the the game for Max. But he was also very lucky, and I think we all can acknowledge that there were a lot of hard-hit balls against Max. There were a lot of hard-hit balls that found the right guy, you know, whether it's Glaber Torres hitting line drives at Brandon Nimmo or DJ LeMay. Excuse me, I burped. DJ LeMay, who's showing emotion when he rips that line drive at Francisco Lindor. He was fortunate. And that's okay, because look, ultimately, despite the fortune that Max had, he still had to make monumental pitches. And he did, specifically against the guy who may be the MVP of the American League in Aaron Judge. So I just don't want to say, oh, Max Scherzer was brilliant and move on, because I don't think that's necessarily fair or descriptive. But he made the big pitch when he had to. uh, And he showed a lot of balls, which is why Max Scherzer makes as much money as he does. But that's the whole thing. Like, it's amazing that him, Degrom, these big time pitchers, they could have off days, but they battle. Like the thing about Max Scherzer that I love is he battles. It may not be looking pretty, it might not be smooth, but it, he's he's battling constantly. He's fighting for that. that. That's what gives him the edge. That's what makes him so great. That's what makes him so amazing to watch. Even on the worst day, he looks amazing. Go seven, oh, shut out baseball. Shut out he, it's, come on. He's got balls. I mean, he's got absolute balls. I think the only part of this game I was frustrated at was when he gave up the leadoff double to Donaldson, gets the back-to-back strikeouts, and the one thing you can't do when you're facing Kyle Higashioka and DJ LeMahieu is on deck is walk Kyle Higashioka. But, look, he was brilliant because every time he needed to make the big pitch, Josh Donaldson, first and third, two outs, sixth inning, First pitch gets him to tap it back to the mound. Like an example right there. Uh, he And obviously the judge stuff, which I already pointed out, whether it was the second inning or the seventh inning, he made the big pitch when he had to. And look, I thought Buck was, Buck was right for when he took him out. I know the pitch count wasn't even at 100 at that point, but he was done. I think at that point with the heart of the order coming up, uh, he's done. I, I think he got the best out of him. So... That was another one of those, I used this example a couple of weeks ago when they faced the Braves, this is why I'm here kind of moment. It was a this is why I'm here kind of moment. A reminder of, look what I can do. I am a true ace, even on my birthday at 38 years old. I can make the big pitch when I have to. He wasn't overwhelming, he wasn't dominant, but he did the freaking job.
I have a question for you because this is something that always bothers me. Maybe it's just because you're so hyper-focused on your aces when they're on the mound. But explain to me why the Mets offense becomes anemic when Scherzer's on the mound, when Jacob DeGrom's <laughs> on the mound. I, I swear to God, zero runs scored for him. I mean, that. Well, sorry, two. But it, it feels like it's zero every freaking time. Yeah, it's... Look, I think we have to remind ourselves that despite breaking out Sunday night against the Padres and a little bit of what they did in the opener of this series against the Yankees, there's also an offense that just doesn't hit. Like, they haven't... They have not been a juggernaut offense. You pointed out the last time we pod on the Rico about their struggles over the last month and a half, whatever that sample size is since June. Sometimes it's just they're not a great offense right now. And they had opportunities against Domingo Herman. They really did. I mean, the one that jumped out at me was the fourth inning when they got the first two guys on base, and you have McNeil, and you have Escobar, and you have Nitto. And also, Lindor, to his credit, remember, Nitto got the leadoff double in the third inning. You got a runner on second, nobody out with the top of the order coming up, and Nimmo pops up, came and advance him. Marte strikes out, who had a devilish time against Hermann. It's like he couldn't see him until he capped it off with the game winner. And then Lindor came through. I mean, that was a huge hit by Francisco Lindor, which is a part of why he has as many RBIs as he has. Like, you could look at his OPS and look at any number you want. He's had a lot of big two-out hits, and that was a two-out bail-you-out kind of hit because the Mets were about to leave a runner on second with nobody out and not score. 